Welcome. You're listening to The Connected Calm Life. My name is Lane Kennedy, and I'm going to be your host. I'm really glad that you are checking in today and taking a listen to this episode. Thank you so much. You have a lot of choices, a lot of podcasts, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, you're going to be joined uh, with three other delightful humans. Today, it's uh, Time Takes Time. And we are sliding into the month of May. And this month, we're sliding into the topic of courage. And, you know, living life is a courageous act. I have to just say, it takes a lot of courage to just get out of bed sometimes. And I'm really grateful that I have the tools and the support and the family and everything around me to lift me up so I can be a part of the human race today. And, you know, if you're new to this podcast, amen. Thank you for being here. Uh, you know, please make sure to check out the Connected Calm Life membership area. That's what is sponsoring this podcast. And if you feel like, you know, you've been hanging around for a while, there's different ways to support the podcast for as little as $5 a month. And then you get a whole bunch of stuff inside the members area. So please check that out. You can find out more information at members.connected.com calm life. Just like that. Uh, One thing that's coming up really quick is the Now What Academy. And you're like, "Uh, what's that? The Now What Academy? Well, there's a lot going on, I told you. And you can find out more information in the members area. Uh, The Now What Academy is going to be dedicated to getting you, supporting you to the next level in your life, whatever that may be. So I hope you'll stick around and hang out some more. Uh, be listening for more announcements about the Now What Academy. But for now, let's get into today's episode talking about courage. All right, let's slide in. All right, everyone take an inhale and exhale. Welcome. This is the Connected Calm Life. My name is Lane Kennedy. I will be one of your hosts today. Today is the first Thursday of the month, and it is dedicated to time. This is Time Takes Time, a little conversation with those usually 16 plus. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you today. Uh, we're going to go quickly around just to introduce so you know who's in the room with me. Elise, why don't you kick us off? Thanks, Lane. My name is Elise Bryson, and I will be celebrating my sober sweet 16 uh, at the beginning of May. So almost there. I love it. And Lauren? My name is Lauren McLaughlin, and I as well will be celebrating my sober sweet 16 in one week. So uh, mid-April. Awesome. Okay, Lisa. I'm Lisa Smith, and I celebrated 18 years of sobriety last week. Congratulations and amazing. So good. Okay, Tom. I'm Tom Gentry, and I celebrated 25 years in September. In September. Boom. I know I don't look old enough to be sober. Did you get sober when you were 12? Yes. Yes, I did. Yes. So we have quite a bit of time in the room today, which always makes me feel uh, at ease 
I guess, comfortable in my skin when I have uh, fellows around me uh, that share in this path of recovery. And I'm going to kick it off with today's conversation is around courage. And this can go any way we want it. But I really want to dig into this concept uh, because I believe that courage uh, is something that we learn over time and time takes time. Because when I first uh, discovered recovery, uh, I was scared. Like I didn't know what was going on and what was going to happen. And yes, it was a courageous act to raise my hand and say, I need help. But everything after that, I don't even know. So I want to go around the room just for a quick minute and find out uh, one super fun fact, fun facts around what is a courageous thing that you have explored in your recovery over the past, let's keep it current, over the past two years? <laughs> that face. So like the whole pandemic? <laughs> Like, like, let's just, yeah, we can yeah. talk about the pandemic and your like, what, what courageous act or what part, like what's been courageous for you. I mean, I leave the house without a mask on now. That's pretty wild. <laughs> That's pretty brave. Right. Yeah. I had COVID twice. That's pretty brave. Um, uh, courageous. You know, what has been courageous for me actually is now that we're on the, the pandemic's not over. I think people think it is. It's not, but like we're on the tail end ish of it. And what I realized is I was getting far too comfortable with all of the online resources that have developed in the last two years with clubhouse and zoom and teams and, uh, YouTube and podcasts and all the places I could get recovery content without leaving the comfort of my home which is great because I still needed to feed my soul over the last two years. Um, but that does not replace real person-to-person -person conversations. For me, it's in church basements where I'm eyeballing people and I'm, you know, literally breathing the same air and feeling the feelings that they carry into a room. Um, and so I've had to get courageous in the last month and make a real action plan around leaving my house a certain number of times a week to be in community with other people. Anybody else feeling that way? I do. I think um, it's been, uh, I actually left New York where I lived for about 30 years and moved to California six months before the pandemic hit. Oh. And so that was sort of like a big, that felt like courage to say, I'm willing to, you know, because it, it was, there were a lot of people in my life that were um, not happy about it or not, you know, it was <laughs> going to change a lot of things, but I knew like in my, I've learned in recovery <clears throat> to trust myself and I, I, I really believed it was right. And I still believe it was right, but it was scary when all of a sudden I couldn't, I, I speak. Um, that's what I do professionally. And as I was in New York about once a month before the pandemic hit. So it was like when I left for California, I was like, you know what? I'm back once a month. It's no big deal. You'll see me. And for the first six months, it was like that. And then it was like, boom, see nobody for a year. And including my mom, who's 85. And, you know, so there was a, there was a lot of that, but, um, 
I agree. I got I got extremely comfortable in my own little pod here, my own little space. Mm-hmm. And particularly because I didn't really know a bunch of people. It was my husband and, and me. And, you know, so venturing back out, I actually had my first in-person live speaking event last week. And I was nervous because I was, you know in the room with the humans, without masks. And I thought, uh-oh, I haven't stood up in front of people in two and a half years, you know, or over two years. How is that going to be? Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of, there was a lot of, of courage to be found during the pandemic. And it, it's going to take courage coming out now. I think for me, um, talking about the courage that was the past two years, essentially, I mean, I hate to like say this, but like my whole business was shut down. I'm an acupuncturist by trade. So I was shut down like immediately and, you know, closed and I was terrified. Like, how am I going to make money? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. And prior to the pandemic, I, treat some high school students who are just amazing but one of them was like you should be on TikTok it's so fun and I was like no I don't have time and then God provided time apparently um and so I think are you on TikTok oh yeah she's got 35,000 followers on TikTok but holy Jesus just just so we're clear she is like the queen of TikTok dances uh Mm-hmm. What yes. do you do on TikTok? Um, okay, that's where the courage comes in. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, tell me about this. Oh, I <laughs> and I snort when I laugh, so I apologize to the listeners if that's like intense in your ears. But um, I so when the pandemic hit, I sat for a day or two, ate a whole batch of chocolate chip cookies, and realized that's not going to help anything. Um, and I started going on TikTok. Now, prior to the pandemic, I had had surgery and I had bought this amazing thing at Walmart called a house coat. And it has changed my life. <laughs> like, stupid house coat. So I dance on TikTok in my house coat like once a week. I used to do it every day, but I dance in my house coat every day. Well, now That's once it? a week. Yeah. And then I did other videos and like I I did go viral a couple of times, but it literally got me out of this fear that I was paralyzed in for a couple of days in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it gave me the courage to just be on camera um, and and feel okay in my skin, in my body. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm obviously not perfect at it. I literally dance in a house coat and I'm a terrible dancer. And my dog is actually the star. I have zero star power. It's her. Um, And so I think that's what it was. It was literally just finding something else that would give me the creative space to be human in a isolated world. And that felt good at that time. Okay, I'm looking you up right oh, now. Oh God, Lauren! <laughs> it's joyfully, joyfully sober, joyfully yeah. sober. Okay, and it's also and it, like that's so. Um, I see so much courage in being vulnerable, just putting yourself out, out in the oh, house God, coat yeah. and dancing and going, "Yeah, this is it." I this love is, that so yeah. much. Yeah. Can we was, can we talk about your bidet video because that oh, took some courage. Oh that yeah, I did a bidet. Courage. She 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 tried out. She installed a bidet. 
uh, on her toilet at home and then did a TikTok video trying it out. Oh yeah, she did. Oh my God. Okay. So this is amazing. So anybody else on TikTok? Lisa, are you on? Tom, are you on? Elise. I mean, I have like 700 followers. I'm not on TikTok. That's odd. Okay. That's definitely So, But this is a really, this is kind of, this is hugely courageous, I think, Lauren, because as we grow in our sobriety, we get comfortable, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, man, I don't really have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I am me. This is what mm-hmm. I do. And like, I'm looking at your TikTok and I'm like, holy bejesus, <laughs> you have a ton of videos on here and it's, it's you doing yeah. the, doing you. Uh, yeah. I have, I have zero ability not courageous. to be me. <laughs> Right. But this is the courageous act. And this is what I think time takes time. This is what people, I don't fully think people understand is that time takes time to just be ourselves. And that is the courageous act. Tom, I'm handing it over to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, I have a podcast about that, right? Right. And I began to wonder a couple minutes ago if the most courageous thing I did in the last two years was come on this episode with you for, <laughs> but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but you know, something that I did that took a lot of courage recently is, um, so the way I got sober, uh, my family sent me away. Mm. It's a little bit of a dramatic way to describe it. I mean, I, I needed to be, but, um, so I was sent to a treatment facility in West Palm beach, Florida, when I was 23, which was a Hazelden facility at the time where I ended up working a couple years later and training as a counselor. And I never went back until three weeks ago. I mean, I visited, but um, I lost my mom back in November. And when I was there for the funeral with all my siblings, it just felt right. And, um, where I had thought I would never move back. Suddenly I had this strong intuition that said, you need to be here. And I trusted it and went with it. And I'm glad I did. Um, But, you know, I had people around me like, really? You're moving to Indiana from Florida? Mm -hmm. And it, it, uh, I think it was courageous. I think it took courage, but also I wasn't afraid. Because I knew to trust that nudge from God. Uh, And the way I think of courage, uh, one of my favorite quotes, I love Mark Twain. And he's quoted as saying, courage is not absence of fear. It is resistance to fear. It is mastery of fear. Mm. And that's Mm. what I think that as a culture, In general, we think to be brave or to be courageous means you're not afraid, which is not true. You can be afraid. It's what you do with that fear. Do I let it master me or do I master it? Do I walk through it or not? And and what I've come to believe is that fear is a lot of times what's pointing me in the direction where I really So I think what you what you just said is really interesting of trust the nudge from the G O D. And 
as we evolve in our recovery, uh, I think there's something that happens with that relationship. And so I want to go in that direction a little bit on uh, when, you know, when was that first recognition of like, oh, I can trust, I can trust this presence now uh, to guide me to shift my life, to allow me to live a more courageous life, to do, to, you know, like when, when did that start happening? Give some examples for our listeners. Uh, what's it been like over the last, you know, 18, 16, 25 years? Lisa, you want to start us off? Um, sure. Sure. I mean, I, for me, learning to trust, uh, was, really came, I worked very closely with a sponsor, you know, kind of right out of the gate. And, um, you know, I, I had, I, you know, I struggled some as I think a lot of us do with step three. And then when, when I got, um, that idea of this step, basically I got the relief in step three, which basically taught me that I'm not driving the bus and that, all I can do is take the next right action and let go of the results. And over time, nothing bad happened when I did that. Right. Like, and, and I sort of, I, you know, figured out that not everything was going to go right. And I wasn't going to be happy about everything that happened. Um, but I would be taken care of if I just kept my side of the street clean and I showed up and, you know, there was just so much relief in that, in not having to control, think or think that I could control everything that ba- so basically as things started appearing as opportunities or things, you know, maybe you could interview for a different job or like I wrote a book, maybe I could think about trying to publish this book. I trusted that if I showed up and did the next right action, it would come out as it should. You know, either it would be a go, some things were a go and some things weren't, and that was okay. So really step three, I think, got me there. So how sober were you? Like how deep into your recovery? Well, probably the biggest one was, um, you know, interviewing for um, the job that I took about a year after recovery, because then that was the first time I truly had to practice something hard, which was that. I really wanted this job. I really, you know, it's the kind of thing where I would have, if if I hadn't, I knew that if I I did get it, but it was down to me and another person. And I, I knew also I had calm in that experience. Like I knew I wasn't going to drink over not getting it. And so being able to trust that because the fear might've kept me away from interviewing before. What if I don't get it? What if I don't this? What if I don't that? And and my sponsor really taught me like, just show up, see what happens. So that's about a year. And I really got like, I turned it over a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then as you've evolved into your recovery, what have been like, what has been an obvious nudge? For me? Yeah. Um, oh, an obvious nudge was... Uh, I had to really like go into, I had a very big job in a law firm when I got my book deal and I was not public about my recovery. Mm. And, you know, some people, I'd been at the firm 10 years. Some people knew, some people didn't, but I had 
just, you know, people who are my friends, but it wasn't widely known. People knew I wrote, but they weren't really sure what about. But I had just been promoted and became the deputy executive director of the firm and had a seat on the management committee of the firm. And right then was when I got the book deal. And I was like, you know, should I think about a pen name? Should I think about fictionalizing it? Should I do this to keep my safe space in this place? Because who knows how they're going to react? <laughs> and I just, that was when I got the nudge that was like, no, you want to, the whole thing for you driving this, writing this book was to help the next person. And, you know, you got to raise your hand and say, it's me. This is what I look like. And this is it. And let the chips fall where they may. And so that was the nudge. It was like, okay, I just got to trust and do this. They may tell me I can't do both things and I may have to leave, but you know what? I'll find another job. I'll do whatever it is. So that, that was it for me. And so that was like 10 years into recovery. No more 12. Yeah. That was the big nudge. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Thanks for sharing that. Lauren. Oh, um, I would say early recovery. I had two big ones, Mm -hmm. big nudges. The first one was actually like the day before I got sober. Um, I guess it would be my last use per se. So, uh, I had been introduced, I had gone through an outpatient. I was living in Austin, Texas. I'd gone through an outpatient. So I had been introduced to what recovery was. I, hadn't resigned myself that I had a problem apparently at that first one, (laughs) you know? Um, so it takes, it takes us, some of us a little time. Time Um, takes time. Time Exactly. There you go. (laughs) And weave it right back. Um, you're welcome, Lane. Thank you. So, um, so that last night I, you know, hadn't resigned myself to death. Like that was it. And I had nothing else to live for. And, you know, things had happened over that, that last 24 hours. And I was sitting on the floor and then there was a push pin next to my, um, on the floor back when push pins were a thing. I don't know, you know, to paying like posters and stuff. Um, I don't know how it was on the floor, but at that point, my left arm had gone numb and I took this push pin and I actually pushed it into my arm and I couldn't feel it. And I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack. This is, okay, wait, this wait, is, wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, yeah. your arm is numb, numb, completely and, numb. And you're putting a pin in it to see if I could feel it. Like I was so mm-hmm. out of it and just like, okay, am I having a heart attack? Like what's happening and I'm going to die and that's okay. So I like put the pin in to see if I could feel and I couldn't feel anything. And at that point I resigned, like, this is, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, because at some point I knew that like, that's it. Um, but I, instead of that, I actually prayed and I've never prayed before in my life. Well, I had, but not like this. And I remember distinctly saying out loud, all right, God, if I wake up in the morning, I will get on a flight. And my parents had bought me two or three flights. I had changed them, not shown up and all that. But I don't remember falling asleep. I don't remember anything. I just remember getting up, packing my bag and getting on a flight. And everything changed from that point on. Um, And then the like second nudge was sort of in conjunction with that first nudge was 
I was driving up. I also am a Hazelden graduate, Tom. Thank you. Um, I was at the big house up in Minnesota, though. I had thought I was going to Florida or California, but I ended up in Minnesota. Uh, I was pissed. Um, so <laughs> um, I was driving up. They have a long, windy, beautiful path up to the big house and or the mothership or whatever you want to call it. Yep. And uh, I felt an actual weight come off my body. Like, I don't know what it was. I have no idea. And I just knew it was over. I knew the chaos was over. Um, and then the sort of career wise, the second nudge, I actually went to uh, treatment in recovery uh, about two years in. I had a lot of trauma that I had to deal with, came up, didn't understand what it was went to a place in New Mexico and they had acupuncture. And I was like, I don't know, can we swear on this? But anywho, um, <laughs> you're okay. Okay. Um, I was like, well, they said, Oh, do you want to try acupuncture? And I was like, well, that shit doesn't work. I'm good. Thanks. And so they were like, well, it's included in the price. And I said, okay, I'll try it. Fine. So I went and met this amazing person and she, you know, after we chatted for a bit, we chatted and then she put me on the table and she's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do acupuncture. And this was probably the biggest nudge I've ever had. Um, she put the first point in and I heard, again, this is weird, but I heard a voice and I saw a white light mm -hmm. and the voice said, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm. And I immediately began enrolling in school while I was in New Mexico and the rest is, and I called my parents and I was like, by the way, I'm going to acupuncture school. And they're like, excuse me. <laughs> so it's been Are a great ride. Conservative, conservative family, is it? Oh, yeah, not, not really. They're just more like, what have you gotten yourself into now? Okay. Kind of thing. <laughs> right. right. Acupuncture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes. So yeah, that's so those really are the two, powerful. those are the big nudges for me. Yeah. I love that. Anybody else have a white light experience? No. Anybody else hear a voice? Maybe I'm just crazy. Least, no, I no, did. Lauren, Lauren, I, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have. I, mine, I mean, I've told this story before, but, um, uh, the first, I went to uh, a women's meeting at a treatment center that I had already been evaluated at and they had suggested inpatient. And I was like, mm, I don't think that's going to work for me. I don't think you know who I am. I'm busy. <laughs> I have a career. I'm a single mom. Um, so I had decided I was going to go to outpatient once uh, summer break rolled around, but that was like several weeks in the future. And they were like, well, how are you going to not drink between now and then? And I was like, I don't know. They're like, well, can you control your drinking? I was like, I don't know. I think I think I'll try. So I, and they're like, well, if that doesn't work, we have this meeting here on this Tuesday night. And so lo and behold, controlling my drinking, not something I can do. Um, there are a few times I could, but then I was, I was miserable either way. I really couldn't. And um, I had gone to this meeting and sat really close to the door and not made eye contact. And um, uh, every single woman that shared their story that night was like exactly my story, which was very overwhelming. And I was driving home and I was very angry at God. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Both my grandfathers were pastors. So the conception of God was never a challenge for me because it's so ingrained in how I was raised. 
Um, but looking at my part and giving up my will was a whole nother thing. And, um, so I was driving home. I was very mad at God, shaking my fist, demanding that if I really had to give up vodka, then I needed one more sign. You know, the 16 women that just shared their story that I cried about, not enough signs, all the things that happened over the course of my 16 years of drinking, using not enough sign. I need one more. Right. So as I was shaking my fist at God, demanding a sign, this ding went off in my car and it literally said, perform service. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, God's in my dash. Good one, big guy. Good one. Which was a very overwhelming experience for me. I actually had to pull over on the side of the freeway and I'm like sitting there and laughing and crying because my God definitely has a sense of humor. And I was, and what am I going to do? Like now I'm out of tricks. I was demanding a sign and I got one. So now what am I supposed to say? Well, I just need one more sign. No, I was like, okay, you win, you win. I'm done. I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm done. And as I was sitting there, the perform service went away and what came back on in the car that I had at that time, it was my gas tanky thing, whatever that's called. And I had a little bit below a quarter of a tank. And as if there was somebody in the passenger seat talking to me with a real voice, that's how real it was to me. Mm -hmm. So not a white light, but a very real voice um, said, you can do this now because the next time I come for you, you will be completely on empty. And I mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't want to know what that, I didn't want to know what that looked like. Cause as I was sitting there on the side of the freeway, I was pretty broken. I was pretty <laughs> broken. And the idea that it was going to get even worse. I wasn't, I wasn't around for that. So I was just like, okay. Right. Um, uh, and then just kind of blindly moved in to early recovery, doing all the things that are suggested that we do. But when you originally asked the question of like, when did you start having faith and courage around things. Mm -hmm. um, the first several years, I just did the one, two, three shuffle, right? I didn't have a problem with step one, two, or three, uh, but I didn't want to do four. I did not want to look at my own part. So I just kept getting new sponsors and rinse and repeat. But uh, what God did for me that I couldn't do for myself, I remember that uh, my first move in sobriety, like literally moving my household, I, I couldn't afford where we had been living um, and I needed to find a place that was going to work within my budget um, and, and meet my, my checklist of requirements um, because I was also going to need to start paying daycare and, um, and God provided with this perfect little rent from an owner condo that was like half a mile down the road that checked all my boxes and I couldn't, I was just like, wow. I am going to be taken care of. It is okay. I just have to actually trust, not the tr be in action and trust, not just give it lip service, right? And that gave me just a little bit of confidence that then the next thing seemed not as big and the next thing seems not as big. And so then as my recovery has progressed and the big, big, big scary things have happened, I've been able to, to handle them because... Time takes time. <laughs> time takes time. Time takes time. Time takes time. You know, so as I'm listening to this, I'm I'm hearing a lot of 12-step. That's a, a heavy theme here that I'm hearing. And a lot of what I call the G-O-D. Uh, and 
I want to just really confirm or not confirm, but I, I want to invite our listeners who are perhaps alcohol free or sober curious that, you know, recovery, we're so lucky now with so many different pathways and different modalities, different beliefs, and 12 step may not be the answer for you if you're listening and you're like, why are they, why do they keep talking about this? Right. It just so happens that this episode today, I just happened to hook up with (laughs) these friends uh, who are a little smitten perhaps with uh, 12 steps. Uh, Go ahead, Lauren, you have something. Yeah. I am not a member of 12 step community. I was, but I I am not anymore. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't make that that clear. That's that's awesome because there is this there's a bigger conversation I think happening in the recovery world right now, mm-hmm. where it's we're in this weird Zoom land, and I'm always questioning whether or not the people who uh, are finding recovery right now in Zoom are they going to stay sober? Is it going to work for them? Uh, are the sober curious folks are they going to stay sober for a long time? I I, I don't know. It, it just makes me. Uh, have a very open mind around recovery. And I used to be like judge Judy, like if you don't do it this way, it's never going to happen for you. And the longer I'm in recovery, I find that I just trust that people are going to find their way. And for me, that's a courageous move. (laughs) That's, that's like hands off the wheel of your life. Have you recently or in this pandemic world, have you watched anybody closely like dabble in recovery or want to be alcohol free or uh, come to you yeah. and say, perhaps my drinking is a little heavy? Yeah, Lisa. Yeah. I mean, and not to get, not to get too 12 steppy here, but I have a, a, I had a woman come to me that, you know, lockdown started in March of 2020. She came to me in June of 2020 and I knew her professionally and she was like, happens to live in my area and was like, I need help. Will you help me? Because I see what's going on here and my kid is home and we're home and my drinking has been bad and I'm terrified now, you know, will you, um, you know, will you help me stop drinking? And she'll have two years sober in June and she's just unbelievable what she has done. And so I do think, I do think, and I wanted to add one more little piece on what you said about multiple pathways of recovery. I am fully on board with that. And what I think is so amazing now um, that wasn't there, I felt for me, and I don't know if you guys felt the same, but 18 years ago, it was A or nothing. And so it was sort Mm -hmm. of like, you have to hit your bottom or nothing. Like now there is so much more exploration being done among the, the whole spectrum of not, am I an alcoholic or not? Am I, you know, do I have to stop drinking? But what is my relationship to alcohol? Is it serving me? How do I feel? You know, what if I take a week off? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But like that whole space, I think has saved lives. And, you know, there were people I know who stepped into that sort of sober curious space and 
were doing it outside of 12 step and then went into 12 step. I know people who were in 12 step that no longer do 12 step. So it is now this continuum of, you know, of real um, pathways and uh, approaches. I love it. Anyone can pick it up from here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll jump in, I guess. There we go. A couple can you of... Can you do me a favor? Don't, just yes. hold your guy up like that. So the microphone. My guy up? Is that better? There you go. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, that feels a little weird, but you hear me okay now? Yeah, it just goes in and out. It, go, it okay. goes in and out. So if, if you're up here, it'll stay good. Okay. Okay. All over that. Is that good, Lane? Okay. So a couple significant, I mean, there are a lot of nuggets over the years, but a couple big moments for me, um, like the first night really I spent in treatment, um, I got down on my knees and I didn't even really know what a third step was. But I basically said, okay, God, like, you can have me. Just don't make me live like this anymore. Mm. And I meant it. I meant it. And um, I might have had one craving since then. And it would have been like the next day or something. But, and another sort of important moment for me was about nine months I was sitting in a meeting and I heard a young woman who maybe had four or six years sober at the time say, oh, it took me a while to figure out that I wasn't going to get struck drunk. And it was like this huge relief to me because although I was doing all this work on myself, step work, all that stuff, therapy, I was afraid that I was going to drink again. And that's when I knew this is working and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. And I could relax that everything was going to be okay. And probably to me, one of the biggest luxuries in sobriety is to not have to freak out about stuff because it's going to work out. Right. If I could stop drinking I mean, if that, you know, I tried every way I knew how to try to do that and couldn't do it. But if that could happen, what do I have to worry about? You know, so I think it's pretty great. I mean, I love being sober. It's, uh, I had a sponsor very early on who used to say it's the only game in town. And that's how I feel about it. Um, you know, one of the comments I got from one of my sisters when I talked to her about moving back was she said something about, um, well, I didn't know if it was hard for you to be here um, and be sober. And I was like, man, like she doesn't get it. Like, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. It's not hard to be sober. I mean, life's hard. I mean, sometimes it's hard to live life, but um when I got on my knees that night, I, I let go of the idea that drinking was going to be a solution of any kind for me. 
It was not my problem anymore. It was God's. Yeah. Can I like circle back to the multiple pathways kind of thing? Let's circle back. Yeah. So I am, I always talk about, for me, AA gave me a foundation of recovery and then it taught me how to live outside of recovery, outside of the program. Um, And I think kind of to tie the two worlds together, the nudge um, piece of it, I had an experience in AA, I'm not even going to go into it, but, and I chose to leave the program and I How long were you sober? How long were you sober uh, when you were, when you left? Six, six and a half years. Thank God. Like, okay. thank God I had six and a half years under my belt mm-hmm. and what happened was not good and it is what it is, but I had the foundation on how to live life and how to live life without alcohol, how to deal with life without alcohol or drugs. And so I chose to leave and then I just was like, okay. And I lost all my friends within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Nobody would speak to me again. I was a pariah. Um, So that was fun. Um, So I decided to get on meetup.com back in the day. Um, And I started just going to stuff because I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to find random stuff that will help me to stay sober. So my whole recovery now is actually just doing things outside of my comfort zone. I don't care what it is. It has to just get me out of my comfort zone and have me learn things. So I've done every, I started laughter yoga. That's how I started laughing. Um, My laugh pays the bills sometimes. Um, I did, uh, then I moved back to Chicago. I did an improv show. I did, then we started running. I've done triathlon. Like I've done anything that will push me out of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. to not, um, just so I can learn new things. And really it has been a great blessing, but it's also terrifying thing when it happened, I was so embarrassed that I was no longer AA And even now when I meet people, I'm still kind of wary of saying I'm not in the program. I am terrified of being judged Judged, by others. Yeah. 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 There is a lot of judgment, I think, from 12-step people. And that's okay. I have participated in it. And up till, honestly, until I was maybe 20, 22 in that, like between there. Mm-hmm. And then my judgment, like, yeah. it's like, whatever, man, people are going to do what they need to do. And then in the pandemic, it's even been more so like, yeah, all of it, go, whatever you're going to do to stay, you know, vertical on the planet, go yeah. for it. Uh, so there was a, a couple of, yeah. Bill Wilson called AA spiritual kindergarten. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's what, what it, he called that's what it yeah. is. And, and there was something I just want to mention, uh, if you are just new listening to this episode, go back to episode 104, where Tom and I talk about going beyond spiritual kindergarten. Uh, it's a really <laughs> powerful, dynamic conversation that Tom and I have about exactly this, what we're talking about now, about moving beyond the 12-step room and detaching ourselves. I mean, I I've had to like move away from the judgment. Right. And that is a courageous act 
because there's a sense of like, this is how it's done. This is how we do it. And back in the nineties, when I got sober, I mean, like what, what else was there? It was like nothing, a treatment center, the shuffle. I don't want to do that. Uh, So it's been really interesting to watch and to help people. And there's something I think that's really cool about all of these. And again, I don't know if they're going to stay sober long-term or what the deal is, if they're going to make it 25 years, 18 years, 16 years, but there's an interesting um, phenomenon that has hit the social media channels. Have you seen this where it's kind of exploding? Like recovery has become like the cool new thing. What do we, what do we think about that? Oh my God. Elise it, and I talk about it all the time. Like <laughs> all what, the time. It's there's, like there's, crazy I, town. Oh my, I, I give all of those people mad props, man. Right. I, if I had been on camera at, a year, six months, I would have been a complete mess. And I give them all props. I pray for the ones that I come across all the time. That's a lot of courage to get out there and boom. It is mind blowing to me. These, these, these young women or young men who are six months sober and they're like, I'm changing the world. Right. And they have the videos. And I'm like, no dude. But then they drink again. And my concern is always that. Sorry. My concern is always the pink cloud feel, right? Yeah. We all wanted to yeah. save everyone right in the beginning. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I applaud anyone that gets sober, however they get sober, mm-hmm. but I, I would be lying. And yes, this is some judgment coming in. Bring it on, Elise. Lane knows where I'm going. <laughs> but like when I see someone who has six months sober and they're a sober coach, oh I'm like, God. what do you think, I, you know, yeah. like, what do you think you have figured out? Yeah. Like I'm with you on that. Yeah. I'm Same. almost 16 and I, I don't, I, the, the longer I do this, the less I know. So what do you think you have figured? I get, I just yep. get really nervous. And then I definitely think there's a difference between the, obviously we know what a dry drunk is versus mm. somebody in recovery. Like we know all of that, but like performing recovery, like mm. I see a lot of people on the gram that are performing for the likes and the comments, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. I'm not sure that they, I mean, are they really doing it to get that one person sober or are they doing it because they want to be an influencer? Like, you mm. know, I don't, I don't know. I never thought not, of that. Not for me. It's not oh, for me I think judge, about that. But, yeah. I, but I do judge it. Like I'd be lying if I didn't say that I judge. I absolutely do judge it even if it's just right here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hard for me just because we have a responsibility, right? We have mm-hmm. a responsibility and um, I don't know, like I just, I, I am really glad that social media was not an option for me in early recovery. I mean, I was on MySpace and thankfully that account no longer exists. Like I'm. Oh my gosh. It, it might exist somewhere, but like. <laughs> All the sparkly I'm sober stickers that I was posting in the beginning, like an idiot. Like, I don't know. Like, it wasn't, I don't know. So, I don't know. I, you know, it's a lot. And I just, I hope, I get, what I do get nervous about is the people that have so many followers and and they're doing the deal. And then they have a little slip and then they act like it's not a big deal, which might not be for them. But for some of us, 
Yeah, myself, yeah. myself included. Mm-hmm. This is live or die. I don't. Yeah. I don't get to have yep. little slips. Mm-hmm. I've almost died too many times. So that's the part I get really angsty about because it's just not cute. You know, it's it's. I don't. I don't know. I worry about that because I feel like you know your story is your own, right? And um, once you put it out there like that then you're subjecting your story to other people's input and other people's judgment mm-hmm. and criticism or whatever. And it's shaky enough when you're early sober in your early recovery, but to then have like expectations and, and all these things and arrows slung at you from a bunch of strangers on social media. I think I, I kept my recovery to myself and my family and very much out of my professional life. So I was not, you know, I don't think I would have been posting anything, but I, cause I would, you know, I, but I would really, I see these people who post, you know, like you said, six months sober coach. And I'm like, you're not so, you, not that you're not sober yet, but like you're putting yourself at risk. Mm-hmm. If you love being sober, you're putting that at risk by, you know, doing it performatively at, at that stage of the game. Tom. You're holding your breath, or something's going on um, there. Well, <laughs> He's I getting have ready to hold feelings his about this. Um, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> well, the uh, you've heard me say this, Lane. I've one of the therapists when I was in treatment used to say, "Early sobriety is not sobriety. Mm. That you're not sober, but that it's not the same thing." And for me, the people on social media who are putting themselves out there. I just wonder how they're going to feel about it in three to five years. Oh God. Yeah. And a few years ago um, in my community, there was this big treatment facility that doesn't exist anymore. And they had billboards all over Palm beach County with former patients. Mm -hmm. This is Ethan. And he's, this is his sobriety day. I freaking kill him. Like, first of all, you're pressure on that person asking to do that. And um, where's the dignity? That's that to me. That's what the anonymity of AA affords us: our dignity. And at the end of the day, when we're entering recovery, it's the most painful, tender, vulnerable oh. moment in a lot of people's lives. And to um, to be like broadcasting that worldwide. I'm just glad, like Elise, that it wasn't around when I got mm-hmm. Because I'd have been all over it. <laughs> so much enthusiasm for sobriety. I would have done it, you know. And God knows what I would have said. Mm. We've all done bonehead stuff in relatively early sobriety. And there's a reason why they came up with that line that we hear in recovery about. How it takes five years to get your brains out of hock. You know? Yeah. There's a reason why people say things like that. It takes a while to really get that. Really get that. Yeah. Oh, it's so intense. It's so intense. So the one, the one thing I want to add to sort of jumping off of mm-hmm. um, the whole conversation is I worry too, right? There's this other dark side that no one talks about really. And it's the um, body brokering. You know, I've seen a lot of brand new sober people 
getting on social media, they're getting followers, and then they start getting sponsored by a treatment center or something. And now they're the they're the spokesperson for this treatment center and they have no idea what that actually means. And they don't understand the ramifications of that. And I've seen it time and with some big accounts and it's, it looks like some of those big accounts have been, had been educated on what that actually means when you're putting your name out there attached to a treatment center, what that might mean. Not all are like that. But what that might mean and what that means for the people that are calling your 1-800 number, quote unquote, um, or sending you a DM or whatever, there is there is that side that um, that might need to be talked about. Um, but again, it, not we hope that not everybody's involved in that, but that might be, that's the thing that I worry about. And Elise and I have talked about that too, and just seen some big creators fall down that trap a bit. Well, and you know, as somebody who's spent the last 25 years working in the treatment industry, I feel pretty safe saying that a good treatment provider wouldn't do that. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. If they have a, they wouldn't wouldn't hire a spokesperson on Instagram for the, who's in early recovery or relatively, they just wouldn't do it. Yep. They're not in it for the clicks. No, (laughs) no, no. I don't know. You know, every day that I am afforded to walk this path, I just feel so grateful that I have others to share it with and that there are other people who have time that I can connect with and that I can share uh, this common conversation. And, you know, we started the conversation off with a courageous act and putting down a drink is the courageous act that we all started with and that one courageous act then leads us to living full beautiful lives and we didn't really get to get into our big beautiful lives uh, but i know that each of you have amazing lives that you're living today and if you're listening today again go back and listen to episode 104 you can hear tom's beautiful courageous life elise is with me at least once a month you can hear her courageous life and Lisa and Lauren will be on for future episodes. Yes. 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 <laughs> so thank you all for hanging out and talking about just what it takes to live in long-term recovery and being a part of time takes time. And just like that, another episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and for listening and make sure you go back and listen to an episode with Elise or with Tom. Lisa and Lauren are scheduled for the show and be looking for their episodes as well. This is really about building community and sustainability in our long-term recovery because that's what we're all going for here. Make sure to check out the members area. Again, members.connectedcomlife and you can join for as little as $5 a month. That's less than a bad cup of coffee. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's a fancy coffee. I don't know. All right, my friend. I will catch up with you soon. Take good care.